This is Conducting Business. I'm Naomi Lewin. Virtual reality technology has revolutionized the way pilots train for flight and soldiers prepare for battle and surgeons learn delicate operating procedures. So it might be inevitable that musicians hoping to enter the cutthroat classical music world might turn to high-tech virtual reality equipment. A team at the Royal College of Music in London and a conservatory in Lugano, Switzerland, has developed a performance simulator that is intended to mimic conditions in the concert hall and auditions. We'll get a couple of views on this today, starting with Dr. Aaron Williamon, a professor of performance science at the Royal College of Music. Musicians have been rehearsing and preparing the same way for centuries. What does this new simulator do and why do we need it? Well, uh, hello. Um, We've had several projects over the past few years where we've been looking into uh, the physiology and psychology of performance. And what we see, even when we are doing work with very accomplished concert soloists, is that the conditions under which they perform tend to be really extremely different from those conditions under which they learn and they practice the pieces that they perform. Uh, So, for example, what we'll often find are very elevated heart rates with changes in heart rate variability, changes to the levels of cortisol, uh, which is a stress hormone, and also the the extent to which people tend to perceive and evaluate the anxiety of the situation. So it occurred to us that what we might want to do is just to try to open up further opportunities to get musicians on stage more often so that they can practice this experience to see what it feels like and to deliver polished performances on a more frequent basis. The issue, though, is that access to these concert halls tends to be relatively rare. I mean, on some occasions, you'll get spots for dress rehearsals, maybe a couple of dress rehearsals, but usually not maybe just only one. And then you have to sort of get yourself in the right state of mind to deliver that polished performance that you've worked up in the practice room, but to do it in a very vibrant, dynamic environment with an audience. So tell us a little bit about how the performance simulator works. I understand it operates in two modes, concert Mm -hmm. and audition simulation. Uh, To call it entirely virtual is is a bit of a uh, misnomer. We've developed what might be described best as an augmented reality situation. So when students book into this space, whether they're going through the audition simulation or the audience simulation, they go into a green room, they're met by a backstage manager, they're given a countdown of you know half an hour leading up to the performance all the way down to the point where they have to walk backstage and when they do walk backstage with the with the backstage manager they see some CCTV footage that of the audience that, or the audition panel that's displayed on a screen. Uh, they can overhear the murmur of the uh, of the crowds um, uh, anxiously awaiting what's going to happen. We go through the motion of preparing the front of house and making sure that everything on stage is ready for them to go. And then when we turn to the, to the student, we, we ask if they're ready to go on. We open the door. We start the applause from backstage. They go out. They greet. They're hit by the spotlights. They uh, have applause going if they're in the audience or they have a, a greeting from the audition panel. And then they start to perform. And how large is the actual space that they are in when this happens? It's not very large at all. I would say it's a, it's a room of around six by six meters. But you see, what we're working on here is a principle of what we would call, and in some fields they call distributed simulation. We want to provide just enough cues to draw people into that state of mind without having to spend a fortune 
completely immersing them in a virtual world that may not seem all that real anyway. So we add into this environment as much of the reality as we can, and getting the protocol formalized and in place for people to experience as they would at, say, the Wigmore Hall is exactly what we're aiming to achieve. Is there a man or woman behind the curtain, so to speak, throwing curves at them while they're performance and sort of changing things that are happening in the virtual audience? Well, the the backstage manager, once the, the musician goes out onto stage, that backstage manager stays backstage, and um, depending on the whatever we, we decide to work on at the time, that person then can manipulate the audition panel or the audience to throw in distractions to make them respond in a positive way or perhaps a more negative way. So do you throw, like, restless audience at them or booing or candy wrappers? So well, we the sort of distractions we've worked in at this point are um, coughing and sneezing. Uh, yes, we've got some changes that we can throw in in terms of facial expressions within the audience and making them look well happier or agitated. So mm-hmm. these people are performing for an audience on a screen, right? Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, the The audience is on a screen, but we have real furniture in the room, real spotlights, real curtains that, that draw people into the, the, the experience. I mean, there's several things that we're looking at here. I mean, it, it's not just an issue of going on stage and dealing with bad audiences and, and developing strategies for, for meeting bad audiences, but we, we have issues such as performance anxiety that we can begin systematically now to work on with, with musicians in that space. But moreover, it's not just these negative aspects. We're very much focused on enhancing performance and getting our students to think about how they can take to the stage in a more confident manner. Um, We video these performances and we give those videos out to students so they can review how they look, whether they look as if they're enjoying those performances. So, and the other unique element about this is that we've discovered in, in the one almost year now that we've been experimenting with this new space, that students are coming up with their own particular uses as to how to enhance their performance that we didn't predict. I want to bring in our second guest now. Holly Mulcahy is concertmaster of the Chattanooga Symphony and author of the blog Neoclassical, where she has written about the audition process. Welcome back, Holly. Now, last time you were here, you talked about specifically performance anxiety and musicians using beta blockers to treat that before auditions. What is your reaction to the performance simulator? Any tool that anybody can can use to achieve their goal is a great tool. And if this helps somebody, then it's excellent. Although I think that personally it would not have helped me in my auditions because basically the reaction from an audition committee, you react differently. It's that split-second timing of somebody's facial reaction or how they perceive your playing can make or break you. And the uh, panel, the, the, the fake kind of panel, is not really the split-second you kind of need. So I don't, I don't really know if this would have helped me in particular. Yeah, we haven't actually talked to Aaron yet about the audition mode, which has three judges sitting behind a table, staring out, making notes. How mm-hmm. does that interact with the auditionee in this mm-hmm. simulation? I mean, just to say that when, when it comes time to put 
students in front of an audition panel, we often find that those those sorts of responses, those anxiety responses tend to be greater than what we would find in the much more sort of compliant, well-behaved audience mode. They tend to get quite worked up about audition panels. And what we have done uh, is to set up a, a virtual panel uh, who will always greet the student in the same way and they, they thank the student for coming. Uh, but at that point, we can set them off onto three modes of listening. So there's a, there's a nice uh, agreeable mode where they actually really enjoy and they are visibly enjoying what the, um, the performer's doing. Uh, there's an indifferent mode where they're just there, they're taking it in, but they're not reacting either positively or negatively. And then there's a downright hostile mode of listening. So they are obviously um, rather annoyed also a little bored, uh, they begin to talk while you're auditioning uh, to one another. Uh, they look quite frustrated. And at the end of each of these three modes of operation, we also have an appropriate type of um, ending phrase. So at the end of the, the, the positive uh, audition, they'll say something to the effect of, thank you very much, that was excellent. At the end of the, the worst possible scenario, they can say something like, thank you for coming, and leave it at that. That really reflects on how like an audition for an orchestra, at least in, in the United States, goes, because the audition committee in the CBAs try to keep everything kind of uniform with what they say to each applicant. What I find when I would get into the finals of any audition is the facial reaction, the split second of, of like an extra blink. If you hit a wrong note or if you miscounted something, just a, a, a twitch in a face, but usually you're in a final situation for that. The two previous preliminaries are generally behind the screen. Mm -hmm. All of the talking and uh, paper shuffling, that's just expected. It's baked into the audition. It's not a surprise. And that can be replicated from mock auditions and studio classes or just hanging out with friends and trying to recreate that situation. We find that our, um, our students here are coming across auditions, that some of which are blind and some of which are in front of panels. They may be of different sizes. I mean, what you've said is that they may indeed have quite a uniform uh, and they have quite a deliberately practiced uniform response. The question, I suppose, is, is that uniform response generally one of indifference, pleasantness, or, or aggression? What I'm not saying is that what we've done is come up with the audition practice scenario. I mean, there are many, many, many of these. What we have done, though, is to come up with one scenario that seems to be quite realistic. And what we've, in, in order to validate this space, we've had musicians go in front of a real audition panel of three people. We've been monitoring things like heart rate and anxiety response on questionnaires um, prior to going out in front of the, the, the panel. And then we've had the same people go to perform in front of our simulated panel. And physiologically and psychologically, the responses are more or less indifferent. They do not differ from one scenario to, to another. I have a though, on your, on your scenario where you have three real panel people, is this still in a controlled environment, like in your school, or is this like, let's send these kids off to a real audition and test their heart rates that way. We have situations at the Royal College of Music where we have London orchestral players come in to do uh, real auditions for certain orchestral training schemes that we have. So the the setup in the study was very much like that. I mean, the, the real point is that we're, we're not 
necessarily saying this is the exact experience you'll have because there is no exact experience, but rather this is one of the possibilities. And so before you go out to put your wares on, on show in the Wigmore Hall or at Carnegie Hall, let's get some practice dealing with these um, feelings of performance. Holly, you have a job now as a concertmaster, which means that you've been on both sides of the audition table because presumably now you are also in the position to audition people. Do you have advice for people who audition or what to do, what not to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the best things that I had done in preparations for my audition is to gather a grouping of friends. And what what our friends would do is we would play for each other routinely, almost on a bi-monthly or bi-weekly basis. We would get together, just play through stuff. We would videotape it or we would record it, audio recording and then we'd listen to it and we'd talk about it. And not only were we listening and helping other people and, and they were listening and helping us, we would talk about our issues and we would go to auditions and, and write down and take notes and then get together over coffee after our auditions and we would share the experiences. And having that kind of support and camaraderie really created a much healthier um, audition taker, I think. Aaron, I've got to ask, how expensive mm-hmm. is this technology? Oh, it, it's very cheap. We've been able to put this together for about the price that it would cost you to um, rent a major concert venue in London for a morning. It's, it's extremely cheap. I mean, the, the point behind what I've called distributed simulation there's a lot of just basic real furniture there. And the actual virtual bit, yeah, okay, so that takes a bit of work, a bit of man, manpower and, and uh, programming. But we effectively are delivering this experience through normal lighting, normal curtains that are just positioned in a particular way. What's really crucial to this is the protocol as to how you get people into the space. Nobody goes in front of the audition panel until the audition panel is ready for you. And in real world time, I have done that. I have gone in before the audition panel was ready. I mean, stuff like that happens all the time. And, and you might show up in a city and your audition panel is just coming out late from a, from a lunch and you, you run into them. I run into people on the streets in Atlanta and I've run into people in the backstage area where they shouldn't have been in Oregon. I mean, stuff like that just happens. And I think that with my teacher at Peabody, Peabody Conservatory in, in Baltimore, he prepared us to have the blinders on, to know what we could do and produce it under any circumstance. And I think that's what is one of the most important things. You'd asked me before, as an auditioner, what would help, and that is what would help, is to know to, to the ends of the earth that you are going to nail that no matter what. So I think preparation is good, but you've got to be prepared for the un- unexpected. They're just accepted. Yeah. I mean, I'm not not saying that these things don't happen in terms of running into the audition panel when they're not ready. But for our situation, in order for the virtual part to work, we have to have a very strict protocol. So, Aaron, where do you see this technology going? Uh, we're, We're experimenting at the moment with different ranges of uses for this. I'm not proposing necessarily that this is everybody's solution. I mean, we're doing a lot of basic research into the physiology and the psychology of performance and also the, the use of new technology and learning performance skills. 
uh, we will continue to chip away at that. What we have at the moment is a training facility that we can at least begin to experiment with. And we can do that at relatively low cost with relatively, well, a range of risk that can be put forward through to the student and helping to train. I mean, most of this um, at the moment is really very experimental. Uh, so from a research point of view, we, have, we actually now have a facility where we can begin to uh, set hypotheses and test them systematically in, a, in an environment that more or less approximates what you'll get in a concert or an audition situation. Thank you both very much for joining us. Thank you. There's a video of the performance simulator on our website. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were Chattanooga Symphony Concertmaster Holly Mulcahy and Royal College of Music professor Aaron Williamon. Brian Wise is our producer. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening. <laughs>